Hear that jingle jingle? It could be Kris Kringle. Or a home invader coming down the chimney. A jilted lover flashing a knife under the mistletoe. Or a disgruntled co-worker at the office Christmas party lacing the punch with arsenic. It's disgusting. Jen and Cam, the hosts of our true crime podcast, are always on Santa's nice list. But this holiday season, they're filling your stockings with 12 nightmarish crimes committed by the lowest scumbags on the naughty list. It happened in Florida, so everybody's now going, oh, Oh. They'll be coming down the chimney, counting down the 12 nights till Christmas. Did I say it's six? Four, five, seven, eight, nine. With a different true crime case every night, each one naughtier than the last. This one is a doozy. So spike your eggnog. It's going to make you want to regurgitate. Because you'll need it for our true crime podcast's 12 Nightmares Before Christmas. They're coming to town December 13th through 24th. Listen to our true crime podcast on your favorite podcast apps. Well, I cannot (sighs) wait. Hit me with it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Dive right in. We are. We are. We are Cultivate. 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 We are Cultivate. so much for tuning in to Weird Distractions podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate in discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, and conspiracy theories to provide you and more than likely what Vincent Lamberti would have considered a weird distraction from everyday life. This week, I'm covering a paranormal hotspot from the United States with a history that cuts deep. But before jumping into that, I need to spill what I need a distraction from this week, along with just a little bit of housekeeping I have to cover. As always, if you have a need for a distraction that you'd like me to read in a future episode, whether you need a distraction from your parents, maybe your coworkers, or maybe the fact that you're missing pumpkin spice lattes, feel free to send it my way by either DMing me or sending me an email. When it comes to housekeeping, I just want to highlight, as you may have heard before the intro music, that the podcast called Our True Crime is doing a Christmas special this year. Be sure to check out Our True Crime podcast wherever you listen to Weird Distractions podcast and make sure to give them a five-star rating and review. In terms of my need for a distraction this week, I would have to say my need for a distraction is that I have not been feeling the greatest again. I was feeling good when I recorded with Lindsay for last week's episode. I felt okay. And now it's just kind of re-coming back again, you know, feeling weak, feeling tired all the time. It could just be the seasonal depression really whooping me in the butt, or it could be, I don't know, maybe something else, maybe a cold. It's also just that time of year where, unfortunately, flu season is among us. But having said that, let's just get into this week's episode because I'm very excited to talk about it. Today's episode is brought to you by the paranormal show everyone loves to hate, Being Ghost Adventures. Truth be told, I still watch the show from time to time. Usually I have it playing in the background while I kind of doom scroll on TikTok or Instagram and, you know, just have it on as background noise. But I saw their coverage of this week's location and thought it was quite weird and figured, hey, this would be perfect to cover on the show. And with that, this week's Weird Distraction will have us learning the history, occult observations, and the reported haunts of the King Gillette Ranch. 
Due to potential coarse language, distressing topics, and other disturbing adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. Before we learn more about how this Calabasas, California building came about, I should probably fill you in on who is behind its very existence. Introducing King Camp Gillette, who was born January 5th, 1855, to parents Fanny and George Gillette. Now, I'm sure you're all thinking of it too, but what a hell of a name, King Camp. Are you kidding me? It's amazing. That would make an amazing drag name. Welcome to the main stage, King Camp. I love it. I'd give them all my money, hands down. King was the second youngest of five Gillette kids, and I take it that the Gillette family were fairly wealthy when King came into the picture. According to resources, both his parents were inventors, always dabbling or tinkering with things to make their everyday lives better. His mother, Fanny, seemingly dabbled with different recipes, coming out with a cookbook specifically for the White House. Based on my research, I kind of gathered that there were a lot of ties between the Gillette family and highly noted political figures. And for those wondering, you can still purchase Franny's cookbook. I think I saw it online somewhere. I don't really remember where. But if I find it, I'll post it somewhere on my social media accounts. It seems that the creative gene passed down to King, although his greatest invention came after experiencing a tragedy. The Gillette family endured and survived the Great Chicago Fire, which took place between October 8th to the 10th of 1871 and killed up to 300 people. This fire impacted King and his family, as Britannica noted that due to the family's loss of possessions in the fire, King was forced to go to work. Where most of the resources I came across noted that he became a traveling salesman of hardware supplies. It was while he was working that King's one employer supposedly noticed that King had a knack of tinkering with things, taking something mundane and making it marvelous. This employer encouraged King to actually create something, and something he did create. Jumping to 1901, King Gillette and an engineer named William Emery Nickerson formed the American Safety Razor Company, which soon would be renamed Gillette. The company would produce razors that, for the first time, were sold in multiple packages, with the razor handle being a one-time use. This hadn't been seen before, so this was a pretty big deal. Production for the razors reportedly began two years later in 1903, with Gillette winning his patent for the new product in 1904. The product was a hit, and according to the National Park Service website, Gillette razors sold between $5 to $75 during the 1910s and the 1920s. Needless to say, Gillette began rolling in the dough. With all this money, King decided to buy a lavish property in Calabasas, California. He purchased the 588-acre property, formerly occupied by the Chumash for many years, in 1926. Eventually, the grounds would occupy King's newly built 26,000-square-foot Spanish Colonial Revival building. And what I'm telling you right now is probably coming off as if King is in his winning era. I mean, he is, really. He's rolling in new dough. He's really taking off. 
I'm sure his social circle was probably getting bigger too, but this winning era wouldn't last forever. The Great Depression hit, and companies like Gillette were not immune to its ramifications. Nearing bankruptcy and dealing with ill health, King Gillette suddenly died at the age of 77 on July 9th of 1932 within his bedroom on his ranch in Calabasas. After his death and having to deal with the financial damages to the company, King's wife, Atlanta, sold the home to Clarence Brown. Clarence was an MGM film director who would go on to hold A-list Hollywood parties at his new digs to the point where it meant he needed to construct a private airstrip on the property. So I guess he was just having people fly in and fly out of his new digs. And yeah, I can't relate to that. Talk about going from one rich owner to another. I can almost smell the unaffordability from here. But the property's ownership would continue to change hands even after Clarence. In 1952, Bob Hope bought the property, immediately giving it to the Claritan Order of the Catholic Church, which then operated a seminary on the grounds for 25 years. Referencing from good old Wikipedia, Thomas Aquinas College rented the property from the Claritan Order from 1970 to 1977. The next owner brings what some would consider cultish vibes to the table. Introducing Elizabeth Clare Prophet, one of the founders of the Church Universal and Triumphant, aka Cut, who purchased the property in 1978. Now, I don't want to dive too deep into Elizabeth or Cut, as I may cover them in a future Weird Distractions episode, but here's a direct quote from Wikipedia about what Cut believed in that I'm not leaving you all high and dry wondering, okay, but why were people getting cultish vibes from this group? Quote, The goal of the human life, the Cut claimed, was for each individual to spiritually evolve to the point where they would ascend themselves. The Cut taught that the ascended master's plans to perfect human society were being thwarted by dark forces, among whom they included communists and other left-wing activists, the federal government, mainstream religions, and extraterrestrials. A millenarian group, it held that the global buildup of negative karma would result in an apocalyptic catastrophe, something it ultimately predicted would occur in 1990, end quote. Also, we need to stop saying apocalyptic or whatever, because it's so hard for me to say. It took me like five times for me to say it as clear as I could, and even then I don't feel confident about it. So let's just say the end of the world. They basically believed that the end of the world was coming. It was a doomsday cult, so to speak. Elizabeth and her followers occupied the former Gillette Ranch until 1986, when Soka University of America purchased the land from them. Eventually, the King Gillette Ranch was collaboratively purchased for $35 million in June of 2007 by the Mountains Recreation and Conservation Authority, National Park Service, Santa Monica Mountains Conservancy, and California State Park. So they all got together. They're like, hey, let's buy this piece of land. And they did this so that they can make it public. They wanted to allow folks to come visit this kind of historic piece of land and be able to, you know, pay $7 for parking because that's what a lot of places do. Anyways, since 2008, the ranch has also been used for various filmings, which I thought was interesting. The former NBC reality show The Biggest Loser has been filmed there. The 2019 Ratchet Netflix series has been filmed there, which I loved that show. I hope it comes back. And last on the list I wanted to mention was the 2021 movie titled The Starling. 
It seems like there are numerous events that go on at the King Gillette Ranch. You can rent spaces there. So if you want to have a private event, if you want to have a wedding, if you want to party just for having a party, you can do that. You can also go check out some Halloween-specific events. So they have what's called Knights of Jack. I think it, from what I gather, they have different carved pumpkins. I think they have actors. It seems like a very ooky spooky, but family friendly event. And I believe they also do something for Christmas, but I can't recall and I didn't put in my notes. So you're going to have to check out their website to learn more about that. Speaking of visiting, let's get into some of the occult observations to learn what people have experienced while at King Gillette Ranch before we dive into the reported haunts. For new listeners to the show, Occult Observations is a little ongoing segment where I read the good, the bad, and the downright weird online reviews, aka Occult Observations, of the location being highlighted in the episode. Typically, I will read two negative and two positive observations. If you've been to a location being discussed on the show and want to send me your own occult observation, feel free to send it my way, either by emailing me or shoot me a quick DM. I'll make sure to include it in a future episode. Now, let's kick things off with the negative observations so that we can end on a positive note before, again, diving into the paranormal reports. So the first negative observation is from user LCC. This was left on Google Reviews back in 2020, and they left a 1 out of 5 star rating. The observation reads as follows. The night of the jack is nice. The tour is just apart from waiting an hour to get inside. The workers rush you. We didn't really enjoy the event. I was more in line waiting. The inside of the place was horrible, and besides, it's very expensive. $75 per car is a lot for the little they teach. End of observation. Now the next one is from user Rick R. They left this on Google Reviews again, and this was back in October of this year, 2023. Rick left a 1 out of 5 star rating, and the observation reads as follows. The holiday light show, whether Halloween or Christmas, needs to change. It's the same thing, repetitive, every year, and your prices are way too high for the experience. The food was extremely overpriced. Other than that the staff is very nice, but doesn't change the fact that the events here are very expensive. Could enjoy a cheaper experience at Knott's Berry Farm with my family of five for the amount spent on tickets and on property. End of observation. I will say, I have seen a lot of folks going to Knott's Berry Farm. I'm saying this as if I also live in California and I just know a bunch of people there. I don't. But hey, I mean, everything's expensive these days. Also, I love how both observations contrast in their opinions and observations of staff. One is very much like the staff is rude. The other is the staff is great. It just goes to show that everyone has a different perspective of things. And speaking of perspective, let's just get into the positive observations. So the first one is from user me expressing music exploration. This is from Google Reviews and it's back from 2022. This user left five out of five stars and their observation reads as follows. Ranger Scott and the facility are pretty awesome here. A pretty decent combination of trail, open area, and a variety of wildlife native to the area. If you are in the Calabasas area, it is worth a visit for a couple hours or so. 
they are very strict with their open and close hours, so come after 8 a.m. and leave by 5.55 p.m. End of observation. The last positive observation and the last observation in total that I'm going to read today is from user Edge Unsin. This was found on Google Reviews, and this was posted back in 2022, where the user left 5 out of 5 stars. The observation reads as follows. Had a blast at street food cinema event. Could have used better restroom situation, more food, drink selection, and a smoking area, but I was happy to be out with my beautiful girlfriend even if I spent an arm and a leg for nachos and sneaking an e-cig puff in a porta potty like I was 12. Haha, <laughs> we watched my favorite movie Under the Stars. It was a lot of fun. End of observation. Listen, that was a lot to digest. I mean, we've got another complaint about overpriced food and we've got a little bit of romance in there, which I appreciate. But that's it for the highlighted occult observations for King Gillette Ranch. So with that, let's dive into the reported haunts. Let's get into the reason why you, me, and the guy down the road are all here today. When it comes to King Gillette Ranch, there seems to be some lingering spirits calling it home. However, it's not really clear to me, at least through the paranormal investigations that are publicly shared, who is calling it home. It could very well be King, or maybe it's someone else. Gerald S. Reynolds, independent paranormal investigator, noted on their website that during their December 2012 investigation, multiple EVPs, aka electronic voice phenomena, were caught throughout the house along with a distinct fragrance of male cologne and pipe smoke detected in the master bedroom. The pipe smoke and the male cologne in the master bedroom makes me think that maybe it is King's spirit or maybe it's Clarence who owns the ranch after King's wife Atlanta had sold it to him, but of course, can't verify that by any means. Some EVPs from Gerald's investigation of King Gillette Ranch that I wanted to highlight include an angry male voice asking, who is that that stands in our place, taken while in the master bedroom, and another of what sounds to be a child's voice saying, please don't come back, when Gerald and I guess his team were heading out to the balcony just outside the south-facing door from the master bedroom before making their way up to the tower room just above it. When I first read about the EVPs from Gerald's investigation, my immediate thought was, wow, whatever is at King Gillette Ranch does not want people in the building. It doesn't want anyone messing around with the building. It clearly does not want anyone to return back to the building. It is not interested in any paranormal investigators poking around. Speaking of paranormal investigators poking around, I think I would be silly not to highlight some pieces of the Ghost Adventures episode covering King Gillette Ranch, given that's where I got my inspiration for today's episode. That and when it comes to investigations of the ranch, there's not a heck of a lot out there, especially in comparison to other haunted places I've talked about on the show which sometimes is a little bit of a blessing, but also a bit of a curse. A blessing because then you hyper-focus on the investigations that have taken place. You don't have as many resources to look through or to watch or what have you. But because then it's so limited, the kind of curse side of it, 
is that you only have only so many resources to reference from or only so much to take in. And it's only from one team or one investigator's perspective, which, yeah, it can it has its ups and downs. Let's put it that way. When it came to the Ghost Adventures crew, they commented pretty much on and off throughout the entire episode about the land being former Chumash property, as well as mentioning the cult ties from when Elizabeth Clare Prophet occupied the space. Of course, they dramatized that information to the highest degree because, again, television. Anyways, let me give you the Spark Notes version of what went down during the Ghost Adventures investigation that may just leave a chill down your spine. Before the investigation even starts, crew member Billy gets spooked out after Zack explains how an archaeologist once was physically thrown by an unseen entity on the property after he allegedly provoked the spirit of Elizabeth Prophet. I'm not sure what exactly this archaeologist had said, but clearly he said something that may have peeved her spirit off to the point where he then got chucked across the room. Billy noted that he had told Zach prior to this information that he had a night terror to the exact same scenario, leading the group to surmise that there is some kind of synchronicity taking place already, which this is a little hard to prove. I think synchronicities are often hard to prove. Later on, just before the crew enters the home, they pick up on some weird EMF spikes that seem to just kind of jump all over the place. And for those tuning in for the first time who may not be familiar with what an EMF is, it stands for electric and magnetic fields, which are invisible areas of energy, often referred to as radiation, that are associated with the use of electrical power in various forms of natural and man-made lighting. A lot of folks in the paranormal field state that if an EMF reader is going off and it's not near a power outlet of some sort, that it is the energy of a spirit that's making it go off. The Ghost Adventure crew brought in a paranormal investigator by the name of Joe Ruffel and his wife Vicky, who is a psychic medium, along with them. Which is interesting to me because they apparently were also present when that previously mentioned archaeologist was allegedly thrown. As the group goes into the building, they all report feeling off before Vicky noted that she was envisioning a little boy named Timmy in a tree. If you remember earlier, back from Gerald's investigation, they actually captured an EVP of a kid. And this is not the last time we're going to hear about a kid at King Gillette Ranch. As far as what I kind of gathered in my research, no children died on the ranch from when King lived there and onward. However, obviously, I can't verify that as actual fact because who knows? There could have been a death there of a kid. I just don't have that information. Anyways, back to Vicky seeing this kid. So Vicky noted she was envisioning this boy named Timmy. He was in a tree. And then she indicated that Timmy was harmed by a man whose spirit resides in the tower. She also noted that Elizabeth Prophet was outside and inside the ranch throughout the investigation, mostly just hanging out with the group as they ventured around the building. So Elizabeth's spirit, I guess, was just along for the ride. It's really hard, I think, to kind of prove that because as a medium, it's just your perspective and what you're seeing and what you're feeling. But I found it was interesting that there was just this huge, heavy focus on Elizabeth's spirit and trying to provoke her and trying to get in touch with her. And if you watch the episode on your own, you'll notice that too. It's just very, let's focus on the fact that Elizabeth Prophet was there once upon a time and that she allegedly had this cult. One woman who was interviewed for the show named Kimberly noted that while she was in the ranch's basement, 
She felt someone or something pushed down on her shoulder, and yet no one was there with her. So she wasn't able to really come up with an explanation as to why this was happening to her. Speaking of the basement, Billy and Aaron went down there into this weird cement bunker that they had found and began provoking the alleged spirit of Elizabeth Prophet. It really seemed like they were really trying to pick on Elizabeth during this entire episode. In doing this, they caught an EVP of an unknown growl in response that sounds monster-like in my opinion. Aaron hears growling again in the kitchen later on as the crew is setting up their equipment, which as they group outside to talk about it, a dismembered voice is picked up on a camera that's inside the house still and they all freak out, which fair enough. I think if I was in that position, I would have probably peed my pants and ran away. Not gonna lie, I would have totally ruined my pants and just screamed and cried like a little baby. Throughout the investigation itself, the crew captures a disembodied female voice, although you really cannot make out what it's saying, along with random banging and bumping sounds throughout the building that they could not explain. Now moving on to one of the EVP sessions that the Ghost Adventures crew did throughout the night. When asked outwardly during the session how many people were in a room that the crew was in, they captured a voice saying, 17. They get another intelligent response while using the ovulus, as Zach asked where the spirit or spirits wanted them to go, and the ovulus chimed in west. Zach then asked the spirit if they would allow them into their dimension, in which the ovulus chirps back saying, deal. Weirdly, and again, Zach began provoking Elizabeth Prophet, asking if she was the one who threw the archaeologist and what was needed to do in order to make this deal, in which the ovulus responded, me, and beg. Meaning, yes, it was Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's spirit, I guess, wants them to beg for acceptance into her dimension or whatever is going on. It was interesting. This whole episode was very interesting. Zach also gets other interesting responses with the ovulus, such as jumped and aggression. Now, the group used motion-activated balls, which were placed in a line that were witnessed to go off during the investigation. Zach emphasized and showed that these balls had to be touched or moved to kind of go off. The balls remind me of like cat toy balls or the ones that you can like bounce and the, they'll go off. They'll have all the colors and whatnot. Another cool experiment that the group used was an EMF spear, which to me resembles a crystal ball kind of mixed with a plasma ball with EMF capabilities. The crew captures this going on and off on its own a couple of times, which again kind of reminds me of the plasma ball. It kind of has those weird lines poking at the outside of the ball, indicating that something is touching it. And of course, the group thinks that it's Elizabeth Prophet's spirit interacting with them for the majority of their spiritual interactions, including with the EMF sphere. Again, they were very hyper-focused on Elizabeth Prophet. They did bring up how they thought maybe way back when there was another dimension that, that the Chumash peoples had opened up, but it's, I don't know, it, it was a lot. There was a lot of different avenues that they were going down in this episode, and none of them really were definitive, of course, by any means, shape, or form. The crew then captures a door shutting on itself on camera when Aaron is doing a solo investigation in which there is a child's voice prior to the door closing saying, behind you. After this incident, the group captures unexplainable footsteps seemingly running away from them when discussing the whole door situation. Now that's all I have to share today for Paranormal Reports, so let's wrap up this week's distraction. 
I hate to ask such a mundane question, but do you all think that this place could actually be haunted? Personally, I think it has a really enriched history that could maybe feed into some kind of paranormal lore or ghost lore, but I think there needs to be further investigations done at this location and perhaps even more in-depth research, more than I can really get into for this episode, to see what kind of things may have happened throughout the building's history. I mean, there are bits and pieces online and I'm sure probably in books that we can learn more about, but I just am curious if there is really any deaths or if there's anything further from even before King decided to build on the property. Like, what was the land like? Did anything major happen there? What happened after he died? You know, what was it like when Clarence was there other than the parties? There's just a lot of questions. As always, I would love to hear from listeners as well. Feel free to shoot me an email or send me a DM with your thoughts on today's location and what you would like to hear in the future. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, anyone who you think needs a distraction about the show. Doing so is one of the best ways to support this show for free. Speaking of supporting the podcast for free, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into. When it comes to any corrections that need to be made or perhaps some constructive feedback, please feel free to send me an email at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Are you looking to rep some Weird Distractions merch? Please check out the link in today's show notes for the bonfire link. It's never a bad time to treat somebody you love or perhaps treat yourself. Although the Patreon page is currently on an indefinite hiatus, I just want to thank the previous patrons of the show. Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Shadow, Courtney, Cheryl, Susan, Jennifer, and Kristen. Thank you for supporting the Patreon page. I truly appreciate every single one of you. For those on social media, Weird Distractions can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, and Facebook. Lastly, I'm always wanting to hear from you. I'm looking to hear about your weird paranormal encounters, maybe too close to home true crime cases, and other weird experiences that you're willing to share to be featured on a future Listener Distractions episode. No matter how short, how long, spooky, or just weird, send your tales my way to, again, the show's email address being weirddistractionspodcasts at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.